Good morning, church. You know, um, when I was at the Express game uh, a couple days ago, one of the things I learned is about the seventh inning stretch. I kind of feel like maybe if you just want to take a moment. (laughs) Yep, I'm not joking. I can see it on some of your faces. That's fine. Okay. There you go. We're not going to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game, though. I'm sorry. Um, Yeah, so... It was a bit of a marathon reading today, but it's like, I couldn't trim it down and tell the whole story. Um, I thought it was a really interesting story. Our reading today included the account of how the disciples were locked up in jail, and an angel miraculously and secretly uh, freed them in the middle of the night. I love the way that this is told, because it's like the people posted outside the cell didn't even know they were gone. Would you look at that? You know? And, you know, if that was the whole story, and it wasn't, but if that was the whole story, then you might hear your pastor talk about the prisons that Jesus frees us from. And a sermon like that would make some really nice promises. Some of them would even be true. And you can hear that sermon in lots of churches all over the place. Because it's, you know, it's, it's a marketable message. And it is compatible with the nature and the work of Jesus. I mean, he does free us. I might someday preach a sermon like that. But not today. Because that's not what the text is about, as far as I can tell. Or at least it's only a small part of it. The story we read today isn't Firstly, about freedom in Christ. I would suggest to you that the, the, the story today was a lot about the cost of witnessing. It's a story about how our relationship to suffering is completely transformed in Christ. I think a lot of us, maybe all of us, operate from an abridged version of the gospel. There are parts of Jesus' life that we really like, and there are sections of his teaching that we resonate with, and so it's natural that those are the things that we focus on. There's other parts that we prefer not to think about, whether um, whether that's intentional or not. Maybe you just never stopped to think about them before. Those parts of Scripture often get neglected. So we'll talk about Jesus who walks on the water and speaks to the sea, right? We'll talk about Jesus who feeds the 5,000 or turns water into wine. We tend to like that stuff. Jesus teaching about loving and forgiving one another and caring for the needy and suffering around us. I mean, that stuff, you can post that on your Facebook wall, right? You can wear a t-shirt about that. But Jesus also teaches that if we follow him, it will drive a wedge between us and other people. If we follow him, we can be confident that people will misunderstand us, exclude us, and mistreat us. 
far from promising a carefree life with him, the message of Jesus is not, with me, everything is smooth sailing. Instead, Jesus says, in this world you will have many troubles. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Which brings us to this topic of suffering. And I'm not, I'm not going to speak about all suffering, but I, I think we can talk about an aspect of it at least. Now, to make sure we're all on the same page, it is an inescapable fact that the Bible teaches that suffering exists because of sin. Because you know that, I think for, for that reason, sometimes we'll equate suffering with punishment for sin. Sometimes that's true. I, I had a talk with the guy at Mojo this morning about karma and whether we believed in karma. I, but it, it, isn't, it isn't always the case. It doesn't work like that. Let me... Uh, illustrate this point to you by asking a question. What do you think is worth suffering for? A husband or a, a loving boyfriend might suffer through taking his beloved to the theater, paying a week's worth of salary for popcorn, and then sitting through a torturous romantic comedy because the woman he loves wants to see it. You could just pick a cool woman and then you don't have to do that. Thank you, I love you. <laughs> We're talking about suffering. A parent, okay, a parent might work overtime or maybe they'll pick up an extra job to pay for their child's dance lessons. A sister might give a kidney to her sibling because without it, she'll die. That kind of suffering isn't punishment, right? That kind of suffering is an act of love and kindness. Because you see, the suffering itself isn't the evil thing. And it isn't always the result of evil, except that suffering exists because of a broken and fallen world. Sometimes suffering isn't evil, it's beautiful because it's the consequence of love. After all, isn't that a big part of the gospel we proclaim? That Jesus thought you were worth suffering for. He suffered what we could not endure so that we wouldn't have to endure it. And if anyone doubts the love of Jesus, they need only to look at the suffering to see how real and how great his love for them is. Hopefully you're familiar with the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, where he says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, you know, whatever. And I think it's easy for us to read those in a regretful kind of way, like, yeah, it's rough being poor in spirit, but hey, at least they're blessed. But rather, I think we should read it 
as it was actually spoken. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. These are my people, what Jesus says. And the conclusion of the Beatitudes drives it all home. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think the early church in Acts, I think they understood and believed these words in a way that you and I ought to aspire to. This blessing of Jesus wasn't propositional or philosophical or hypothetical. He doesn't say, like, if you ever happen to be persecuted, remember that I bless you for it. These Christians, were they preached Christ crucified, and as a direct result, they were persecuted. They knew they'd be persecuted before they preached Christ. And when they were persecuted for Christ's sake, they counted themselves as blessed. See, the story of the angelic prison break unfolds in a way we might not expect. Because I think the goal is different than what we might expect. When God leads them out of jail, he doesn't send them away from the danger. They get broken out of jail, and the angel says to them, Go back to the scene of the crime and keep doing what you were doing. Go back to the temple where you were arrested and keep preaching Christ, the reason you were arrested. The message for them was not that the gospel frees you from persecution. The message for them, and I hope you'll hear every word I'm about to say, the message for them was that persecution cannot stop the gospel. After all, they more or less get arrested all over again the very next day. This time, they weren't imprisoned. They were beaten and threatened before being released. And when the disciples left, they rejoiced. You might be thinking, well, yeah, I'd have rejoiced to be let go too. I would rejoice that the beatings were over. I would rejoice that we didn't have to spend another night in jail. But that isn't why they rejoiced. In verse 41, it says, they rejoiced because they were found worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. That's a profound statement. That is an incredible perspective through which to view their suffering. They could account themselves among the blessed ones that Jesus preached about. They could number themselves with the prophets of God because they suffered for the name of Jesus. Why is that good news? Why is that something to celebrate? Well, if it's all about your experience, maybe it isn't, but if it's about something bigger than you, maybe it is. See, their suffering was proof 
that their message was being heard. It was proof that the gospel was having an impact, even after Jesus had returned to heaven. But it's more than that, even. The suffering they endured was proof to the onlooking world that this gospel was worth it. It was a testimony that Jesus is worth the suffering. It was proof that the work of God can't be stopped by the schemes of evil men. And don't get me wrong, I am thankful for the freedom that we enjoy to preach Christ without persecution. But who knows? Maybe someday we'll have the opportunity to suffer for the name of Christ. And if so, I pray that we'll give thanks that we too were found worthy of suffering for his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for how you've blessed us and, and how you've provided for us, and how you've safeguarded us. But Lord, we, we thank you for something even bigger than that. We thank you that the gospel can't be stopped. No matter what people threaten with, no matter how people try and push or crush, your gospel prevails. Not just because people hear it and pass it on, Lord, but because a, a big chunk of that gospel is that no matter what this life or what your enemies throw at us, we still emerge victorious on the other side. We thank you that you've included us in your family. We pray, Lord, that that we'll value you, that we'll count you worthy of enduring anything. And we give you thanks that you don't leave us alone in that, but that you're with us every step of the way, encouraging, guiding, protecting, and eventually one day, raising up. We give you thanks for all the saints who came before us, who suffered to bring us this good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen again. It's in his holy name that we pray. Amen.